Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. How y'all doing this evening? Good. Y'all are like, what did I just watch? All right. It's good stuff. You the man, Taco. Thank you, buddy. Listen, here's what, uh, here's what we're going to do tonight. You've had a crazy day out. We caught, we caught some paintball. We caught some horseback riding. We caught all of that. Watch y'all. Um, y'all had a wild day. So I know you're tired. We're going to roll through this. Last night, we talked about who was originally in control right? The, the, the Lord, the God of creation is in control. He made everything. He made you just like he made little buddy. That's what we'll call him, right? Little buddy, that little guy. He made you. And, and one thing we talked about last night was he made you and he placed eternity in your heart that instead of living for the line, that there's something in your heart that says, there's, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. But somewhere along the line, chaos entered the scene. And we know that where we're at now looks nothing like what we talked about last night in the beginning in the way that God created the world. I mean, it's a chaotic world, right? Things are crazy. Like LeBron is playing for the Lakers. Crazy. Sorry, if I just, I forgot. I forgot y'all don't have cell phones. You're like isolated from the rest of the world. I just broke that news for you. I'm like ESPN Sports Center up here. No, there's no question. This is not a question time. This is a monologue. All right, here's the deal. Things are crazy like that. Like LeBron is playing for the Lakers, and now we can't just trash KD. We can trash LeBron, and then, I mean, the whole world's going crazy. Now, I mean, serious, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm serious about LeBron playing for the Lakers. I'm joking about that being a big deal. Here's the deal. We know this. The world has gone crazy. Before I got here, I, I pulled up Wikipedia because it's a great source of all knowledge, and it's, uh, your teachers love it when you quote Wikipedia in your papers and things like that. But I, here's what I did. I said, I said, Wikipedia, tell me how many armed conflicts that are ongoing in the world right now. How many armed conflicts are taking place in the world right now? The list is crazy, crazy. There are seven armed conflicts that are currently going on that have consumed more than 250,000 lives that are still currently happening. We're talking terrorists in Africa like Boko Haram who are slaying people left and right and kidnapping children. We're talking about genocides in Syria that have killed 350,000 people over the last 20 years. We're talking about the war on drugs in Mexico that's responsible for like 50,000 deaths in the past 10 years. One that's near and dear to our heart and our family's heart is a current conflict that began this year in a little country in Central America called Nicaragua. Our family goes to Nicaragua every year, and we spend time with the beautiful people of Nicaragua. We train pastors there. We planted a church there, and we love Nicaragua. But currently this year, 130 college students have been killed in Nicaragua for simply walking and protesting against their country's leadership. The total number of lives that have been killed during armed conflicts that are currently ongoing is this number right here. 11,883,996 people. That was on, that was last week. So the numbers probably crossed 884,000 since last week. Those are current wars. You throw in World War II, World War I, 
I mean, we could go on. The Civil War, wars that have ended, the number far surpasses over 20 million people. 11,883,000 people represents most, more than 20 states in America. Not total, but more than 20 states have less than that amount of people in them. So it's like two states of people in America who have been killed fighting in some kind of war or conflict or as an innocent bystander in the middle of those wars. It's hard for us to fathom because we grew up in America and we get so isolated from the rest of the world and and it's really hard to think about these things until they get really close to home. But here's what we do know. If we look around and we, we put our scope, our lenses on the rest of the world, it's in chaos. It's in chaos. There are places you can't travel. There are places you can't go. There are places you can't walk to. And some of you know that reality. You know the chaos of life. You know the chaos of this world. And you know it all too well. How did we get here? We're going to dive into Genesis 1, I mean Genesis 3 tonight. I want to read you this, and then we're going to pray before we go into Genesis 1. But here's what Romans, Paul writes this in Romans in chapter 3, as our current condition in the chaos. Paul says this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, and no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. And there is no fear of God in their eyes. Paul says, this is us. Now, before you begin placing that on other people and say, well, okay, yeah, I get that. That's Boko Haram or that's the South Sudanese war that's happened. Those people, they have blood on their hands. Their mouths are an open grave. But here's what Paul says. None of us, none of us are righteous. Not one of us. All of us do these things. We're all in the middle of this chaos, searching. How did we get here? Before we go in and we open up Genesis chapter three, remember what we talked about last night? We called it the indispensable principle. principle. You the man, you were listening. The indispensable principle. Somebody tell me what the indispensable principle is. All right, Jordan. Something you can't dismiss. dismiss, And it was before you go to the God of the word, before you go to the word of God, you go to the kind of let you in on the secret there. Before you go to the word of God, you go to the God of the word. All right, so before, and, and, and take this in your life. If you, don't, if you take a principle from this week, take this in your life. Before you open the Bible, talk to God because he wrote it. Ask him to tell you what it means. Father, thank you. God, you're amazing. Thank you for your word. Tonight, we don't need a whole lot of teaching on our condition I imagine all of us would be embarrassed to open our hearts and lay it bare before all of us to see what's there. God, we are all acquainted with this chaos. And so tonight, what we need is hope. What we need is you to speak to us. And God, show us our condition, but not only that, show us the way out. 
God, open your word to us. Teach us tonight. God, you wrote it. And there are some things that we just don't understand. Our minds do not comprehend. And so we're asking you to teach us. God, to make the things that are complicated simple for us to know. God, to make the things that we don't understand, to give us knowledge in our heart. God, thank you for your time. God, that you've, you've given us to, to come to you tonight. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Here's what happened right after the world was created. Adam was made. Then Eve was made. God wrote eternity on their hearts. God told them, go into the world and have dominion over the world. Go into the world and flood the world with my glory. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. The serpent shows up to Eve in front of this tree. They're told not to eat. And here's what he says. He said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and God and made themselves loincloths. God called to man to look to him for this purpose, for meaning, to look to him for everything that they needed. And he gave them a simple rule. There's one tree. There's one tree that you can't eat. There's one place you can't go, something you can't partake in. Remember this little guy over here? I don't pretend like this is the tree. Can't go there. But Satan comes and he, he tells him a lie. If you notice, what he does is he starts with this lie. Hey, did God say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? He begins to twist. See, one of the things you need to understand about Satan and the way that he works and the way that this whole thing works is he takes good things and he begins to twist them. And so he takes all of creation and he's like, did God say you couldn't eat of anything? Knowing that that wasn't the truth. And and he's like, no, we, we can eat of any tree, but there's one we can't. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What he does is he says, you're not going to die. Even though God says you're going to die, you're not going to die. What God knows is if you eat of this tree, you'll be like him. And you'll know good and evil. And here's what happens. A battle for rule takes place. And for the sake of this time, we're going to call it a broken rule begins to happen. Let me have this chair. Can I have this chair? There's not one up here. Sorry, I stole your water bottle chair. All right, pretend like this is my throne. This is God's throne. He sits on his throne. He made heaven and earth. It's all his, all of it. This is his throne. All right, he makes the rules. He decides that, the, that man and woman can name the animals. He decides that they can go into all the world and rule the world, have dominion over it, and flood it with his glory. But he gives them a rule. There's one thing you cannot do. 
because it's my kingdom. You can't take part of that tree. You see, what it says is that Satan says, if you take part of that tree, you'll be wise like God. What it really means, what he's saying is, if you take part of this, you get to be the one who determines good and evil. You get to be the one who determines right and wrong. You get to be the one that decides what goes and what doesn't go. You get to be in control. And so one of the things I need you to understand, maybe you've read this story before and you've heard it, and you've heard this story, maybe your parents have told it to you, It's not as simple as eating a fruit. What they effectively did when they took part of that fruit is they kicked God off the throne. And they said, we want the throne. We want to decide what's right and wrong. We want control of heaven and earth. They begin to believe a lie about God. They begin to believe some lies about God as Satan began to lie to them. They begin to question God. Here's a few lies that, I, that you can catch that they begin to believe about him. They begin to believe that he's not great, that he's not in control. Because it, maybe, maybe if I had control, maybe if I was in charge of my life and I can do whatever I wanted to do, it would be better. There wouldn't be any rules like that. God's not great. They begin to believe that he's, he's not glorious, that he doesn't have your best interest in mind. You ever been there? You ever thought this about God? Does he really want what's best for me? Because if he wanted what's best for me, why would my family be this way? Why would my life be this way? Does he really want what's best for me? Because that seems best, and I want that. He's not glorious. They begin to believe he's not good. Why would a good God do this? Why would a good God put us in this situation. Maybe there's something better that he doesn't want us to know about. Maybe that's better, to be in charge of my own life. And they believe that he's not gracious, that he's not a gracious God. And they begin to hide. You know, one of the things that we have to understand is we didn't start after this condition. We didn't start off neutral. You're not born into this world neutral and you get to pick a side. Like I, I, I come in and I'm, I'm neutral. I'm going to either pick to be on God's side or be on my side. No, what scripture teaches us is that we're all sinners. We all fall short of this glory. We've all chosen to take the throne from God. We've all believed these lies. We don't come into this neutral. What we do is we try to make our lives the center of intention. Let me, let me give you a little example. I, uh, my wife and I went on a trip to New Orleans last January, a couple of Januarys ago, I can't remember. And we decided we were going to go to dinner one night in, in downtown New Orleans and one of those fancy restaurants where you can get like some Creole and some good stuff and shrimp and I don't, I don't know. They just throw everything in a pot and you eat it. It was good. And so we get there to this restaurant, and they're filming an episode of a TV show outside of this restaurant. Uh, the TV show was CSI New Orleans. Yes, people watch that. Okay. All right. Well, here's the deal. I was in an episode of CSI New Orleans. So what if I called you? What if I got, I'm like, you're all my friends now because you know my darkest, deepest secret and how I messed up my Chris Webbers at Disney World. What if I called you? I'm like, hey, listen. I'm in an episode of CSI 
New Orleans. I made it big time. I'm not just speaking at RBR. No, I'm just kidding. I made it big time. I am in an episode of a TV show. We're going to have a big watch party. We're going to call a camp together. And when it airs on NBC or wherever it airs, we're all going to watch. And you can watch me and see. I mean, I am in a TV show. And you're all pumped for me. You're like, yeah, we're going to go watch Jeremy and CSI New Orleans. And so you all come and you all sit down. You're all excited. Some of you are like, I'd have to watch CSI New Orleans then. We'd all... We'd all sit down and we begin to watch. And what if this TV clip showed, and I'm all pumped. I'm like, all right, here it is. Here's my scene. Here's my scene. Go to the next slide. Skip the next slide. Go to this video clip of CSI New Orleans. One more. This is the scene that shows up. Go to the next slide. No, I'm right there. Right there in the back. You see me? Look, I'm on TV. Look, see the lady? She's got the little clipboard. I'm right there. See the guy with the, the hat, the pink hat, and the yellow hat, and the green? I'm right behind him. Would you, would you be like, Jeremy, you're stupid. <laughs> Bro, you are... You are barely, you are barely in a TV show, if at all. You know, it's funny, but honestly, this is how we, this is how we live. This is how we live our life now after the fall. We live like, hey, I'm on the throne. It's all about me. All this is for me. This whole world is about me. All this is mine. Everybody needs to watch me because I'm in control. But in the grand scheme of things with the God of the universe who sits on his throne, this is really what it's like. We're not in control. There's a broken rule and we think we're in charge. We think we rule it all now, but the reality is we don't. But we begin to trade who we were and who we're made for for this lie. Second thing that breaks after this is this broken relationship. This broken relationship begins to happen. Did you catch the scene? As soon as they take of the fruit, as soon as they, they, they partake, they begin to realize something's changed. Something's different. We're not the same now. It says that they begin to realize that they were naked and they, they sowed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And basically what they were doing is they're, they're covering their shame. You see, two things entered the world in this moment, two things that I think you're well acquainted with, two things. Number one was guilt. And number two was shame. Two things that you were never made to feel, never made to experience. Let me give you a kind of a, a little example of what this is, is. Guilt. How many you play sports? All right. Cool. Um, what, what sport do you play? Wrestling. You wrestle. Let's, t- let's pick a sport with a ball. This works better. What's your name? Basketball. Oh, you play basketball. <laughs> All right. Ba- she got a new camp name. Her name's basketball. All right. So, so what if I told you it's like this. In basketball, my son plays basketball. In basketball, these things happen. The court, you run up the court and you play the game. And, and every so often, probably not for you, but for normal people, you may dribble the ball out of bounds. And that's called a what when you dribble the ball out of bounds? 
What's it, what's it called when you dribble the ball out of bounds? It's a turn... Turnover. Turnover, okay. We'll switch to other illustrations outside of basketball. It's a strike. All right, so it's a turnover. So when you turn the ball over, man, you feel bad about it. You're like, ah, I let my team down, turn the ball over. That's guilt. It's that feeling like, man, I messed up. I, I, I messed up. I feel bad about it. Guilt entered the world. And they realized that they messed up. And this feeling bad about it entered the world. But the second thing entered and it's so much worse. And it's called shame. Shame. Shame is not just dribbling the ball out of bounds. Shame is if I looked you in the eye, Miss Basketball, and I said, for the rest of your life, you'll never bake a basket. <laughs> I like her. What if I said, no matter what you do, how hard you try, you'll shoot and you'll brick everyone. That's shame. You can't do it. You can't make it happen. You can't do it right. Now, if you are honest with me for just a minute, if you are honest and it's really hard to do, You've all heard this voice inside of you that says you can't. You're worthless. You're nothing. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. You can't do this. You're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. And some of you lay in bed at night and, and all you can think about is how you're not enough. You see, that's shame. What began to happen as soon as they took of that fruit, as soon as they partook and they had decided they had to cover themselves, shame entered the world. And this shame caused them to realize, I'm exposed. I'm not enough. And so I got to do something. I got to change something. I've got to do something to fix it. And here's what happens. Ever since this day, ever since this day that Adam and Eve began to cover themselves with loincloths, we've been covering ourselves ever since. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you use to cover yourself. But what I think happens is you begin to put out a version of yourself that's not really you. you maybe as a female, you begin to dress a certain way just so you can fit in. You're trying to cover that shame so you can feel like I'm pretty enough or I'm good enough. Or maybe you talk a big game, guys, because you want to feel like you're man enough. But you don't, want everyone, you don't want to ever let anyone in to know that you don't feel strong enough. You don't feel good enough. We're fakes. We're fraud. How many of you like orange juice? I, I love orange juice. Like I, I could drink orange juice all day long. I go to the store and it's like, I won't, it's, orange juice is expensive too. I go to the little gas station. I'm, give me the $3. I forget the monster. Forget the carbonated. I want orange juice. Until one day I realized this. Orange juice is fake. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Orange, I, I know some of you don't want it's, this is This is worse than hot dogs. Orange juice is fake. All right, here, here's the deal. I'm, I'm just going to tell you this. Orange juice, oranges only grow a certain time of the year. All right? And so in order to, to make orange juice all year long for crazy consumers like myself... Here's what they do. They squeeze the juice out of the oranges and they put them in vats, big vats. And then they deoxygenate these vats. They remove all the oxygen out of these vats of orange juice and they let it sit. 
sometimes for months, sometimes up to a year. Here's what happens. This, none of y'all are going to get orange juice in the morning. Here's what happens. The orange, juice, the orange juice comes back out, and it tastes nothing like orange juice anymore. It hasn't had oxygen or light or anything. It's been stripped of all its nutrient. I mean, it's just bleh. And so they add flavoring after that to make it taste like the orange juice that you drink, and they sell it to you. That's why when you squeeze oranges, it tastes way different than your... Tropicana. No, let's see it. Sorry, we can, we can discuss the merits of orange juice. Here's the deal. Orange juice is fake. Orange juice is fake. Now, we're all acquainted with this. We all know this, that if I were to ask you, for most of you, the reality is you would say, I'm fake. I do things to cover up who I am. I project a version of myself in the world because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to cover up the shame that I feel. I'm trying to cover up the guilt that I feel. And so I, I pretend. And I put things out there just so people can see and they can think better of me. You know, one of the number one ways we pretend nowadays is this thing called social media. Now, before, before I go like, all psycho camp speaker on you and tell you that you all need to leave your social media. I'm on social, like I'm, I'm on, I just have Instagram and some Twitter, I think. If, so I'm on Instagram, now you have phones, so I'm not going to give you the thing. I don't need any more followers. I'm good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's this scene of just putting this perspective, projecting a version of yourself to the world. Watch this video. Watch how it's done. If you were an alien looking at the Instagram newsfeed, you would have to conclude that most humans spend their lives in leisure, traveling and smiling all day long. You'd assume that there were far more honeymoons than fights, far more moments of laughing so hard that you cry than actual crying, and far more successes than failures. But none of that is true. Our lives are not represented by the photos that we share. We are pretending, and it comes at a dire cost. There's been a lot said about the danger of consuming social media. After all, the sites are designed to be more addictive than crack. The articles do little more than waste your time, and the misrepresentation of how people live can lead to depression with the state of your own life. But those are the easy criticisms. The real danger of Instagram and other social media sites is not in what we consume, but in what we create. Think of it this way. Every time you post a photo, you are contributing to the creation of a persona, kind of like in a video game. You post a photo in front of the Eiffel Tower and your sophistication stat goes up. You delete a photo where you look bad and your beauty stat goes up, or you share a funny meme and your humor stat goes up. You choose these photos specifically because you want those stats to go up. You want that persona to be seen in a certain way. Everything that you leave out is also on purpose, whether it's because it's embarrassing, boring, or not who you want that persona to be. And all this is fine. Nothing is wrong with creating a persona. The problem arises when you get attached to that persona. When you look at your Instagram photos or your Facebook profile and you say, that is me. At that point, the persona, the mask that you have decided to show people becomes your identity. You protect it. Every selfie needs to be pretty enough and every caption needs to be funny enough. With every single post, you are saying, this is who I am, judge me. And that is when you doom yourself because that constructed identity isn't who you are. 
Sure, you're in that photo, but that's not how you look all the time. And sure, you did write that caption, but you're probably not that clever all the time. Those moments are fragments of your life, carefully selected to make you appear a certain way. They aren't the whole you. And so even though you crave the validation from the likes and the comments, they don't really make you happy. In fact, the more that you care about those likes, the more that I can guarantee you will be unhappy. Why? Well, first off, it takes a lot of energy to create and manage an identity. Think of all the photos that you've ever taken and deleted, the time you spent filtering, editing, plus the work you put into getting dressed up, knowing that you'll be seen later on Instagram. Think of the time spent crafting witty tweets and captions. You are trying to control how strangers perceive your reality when you do this, and it is incredibly taxing. Second, you sacrifice your own experience to promote your identity. Last year, a girl I knew backpacked Asia, and after the first week, she was homesick and physically sick. She felt lonely and hated it, but she continued for weeks more because she was afraid of what people would think if she left. She was afraid that they would think she was a failure. The whole time, she posted smiling pictures on pristine beaches while people commented how lucky she was, which only made her feel more stuck. We don't do the things we want to do because we care more about what other people think of us than what we think of ourselves. <laughs> right. Listen, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's Facebook or some new social media that's going to pop up or real life, we all do this. We all do this because it is our attempt to control the chaos. Not the chaos that's going on out there, not the chaos that's happening in the world, the chaos is happening in here. It's our attempt to say, I am better than how I feel. That this shame and this guilt that I feel, this hurt and this pain that I feel, I gotta cover it up. And I got to put out a version of myself that will be accepted by people. I got to put out a version of myself that's not really me so that people will like me or love me and so that I can feel good about myself. But here's the reality. The longer and longer you put this version of yourself out there, the more tiring it is and the more shame you feel. Here in the garden, they didn't have any of that stuff but they begin to cover up their shame. They begin to cover up the chaos that they felt in their heart because everything that God meant for them to be, they were no longer. God shows up. Let's look at this last verse. In verse 20 and 21, God shows up on the scene and here's what he says. Go to the next slide. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It's a small verse. It's this little scene, but I want you to, I want you to catch something about who God is, even in the middle of the chaos. It is God who comes in and covers them. It is God who cover, comes in and clothes them. It is God who comes in and protects them. You see, one of the things that you have to remember about this scene is it says that he used skins to cover them. Where does that come from? They come from animals. 
Two people who had never seen bloodshed, two people who had never seen anything die. Have you imagined that? Have you imagined living in a world where there's no death? Right before them, they see an animal killed and they're given their skins to cover themselves. You see, they realized right at that moment the consequences of what they had done. Death had entered into the world. But even in the middle of that, there was grace. Even in the middle of their attempts to cover themselves and to cover their shame, God comes in and covers them for them. He protects them. You see, one of the things we want to do this week here, beginning in night two, is we want to say, yeah, we all understand the chaos. We all understand the shame that we feel because of our brokenness. We all understand that we try to cover it up. But would you, at the beginning of the week, would you begin to look to God and say, God, I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of covering. I'm tired of the shame and the guilt I feel. I need you to cover me. I need you to protect me. I don't want to sit here any longer. This is yours. The biggest challenge is stepping down, stepping out of control and giving it back to God. Let's close in prayer. We'll get you out of here. Father, thank you. God, thanks for your word. I said, it's a story that happened a long time ago, but we all know it. We've all experienced it. We know guilt. We know shame. We know our sin. God, we know the times that we have disobeyed. God, we've all tried to cover it in so many different ways. And we've all pretended a version of ourselves that's not real. God, I pray that all of us would step out of the throne. God, give it back to you. God, that we'd come to you tonight and allow you to cover us. God, that you would be our protection. God, that you would bring healing to our hearts. Lord, even in the world of chaos, God, I pray that there would be safety when we run to you. God, it says in your word, you are a strong tower. And the righteous run to you and are safe. God, I pray that we would all run to you. God, and be safe in you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.